0: Please be seated. Jerusalem has long been a divided city, a contested place where nations from all over the world have tried to stake a claim and call it their own. First it was the Babylonians and then the Romans. During the Crusades, Christians and Muslims killed each other for it and today Israel and Palestine clash over it, erupting in violence time and time again. It's supposed to be a holy city. It was supposed to be God's city for God's people when it was first built. But it has ultimately failed to bring people together. Like too many communities in this world, it seems to be better at tearing them apart. And yet, on the day of Pentecost, all of that changed. The Holy Spirit changed that. In the streets of Jerusalem, people from all over the known world united that day in a common language. They came together in community, each of them stepping forward to become a part of something greater than themselves. Everyone, in a rare moment of grace, truly understood one another. And it truly was a miracle, because that doesn't happen very often in Jerusalem or anywhere else.
1: When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and suddenly from the heaven there came a sound like the rush of violent wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting divided tongues as of fire appeared among them and a tongue rested on each of them all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them the ability now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem and this and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each of, each of them was speaking the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native languages? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Prygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both the Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others steered and said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you, and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Let us pray. Everlasting God,
0: may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. May they be blessed by your Holy Spirit, and may they be in keeping always with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It was supposed to be God's country, an expanse of wild, untamed land where they could practice the gospel however they saw fit. Here they could start again. Like the pilgrims of Plymouth Colony before them, The Puritans of the Massachusetts Bay Colony had grown weary of the Church of England and had set forth in the 17th century to pursue new lives in the New World. Here they carved out swaths of forest and built villages and churches and gathered every Sunday as a community to worship their God. I recently had the chance to visit one of these old hamlets, the village of Salem. Massachusetts while I was traveling to the East Coast. Most people go someplace warm and sunny on vacation. I go to Salem, Massachusetts. It's hardly a village these days, of course, more of a bustling city with a thriving tourist economy. Everything in town is themed around witches and the occult, right down to the taxis and the hot dog vendors, their pentagrams and silhouettes of women riding on broomsticks, an echo, of darker days. For it was here, of course, in Salem, that the Puritans conducted the infamous witch trials. Dozens of paranoid villagers accused one another of witchcraft. They turned on each other in a fit of superstition, testified against one another in kangaroo courts and accused their own friends and neighbors of consorting with the devil. Around Halloween, they say the streets of Salem are so packed that you can hardly move. But this was a rainy day in April, a Tuesday, the off-season, and everything was pretty quiet. I had the chance to visit the Witch Dungeon Museum, where I enjoyed a theater production of a mock trial. Uh, There were only two actresses in this performance, the rest of the stage populated by stiff mannequins dressed in old-timey clothes, One of them played the accuser, the other the accused, apparently friends and neighbors of one another until one of them decided that the other was a witch. The performances, I have to say, were rather wooden. But to be fair, most of the performers were made of wood. The play was nothing to write home about, but I felt like I got my $10 worth. Maybe it's in poor taste to profits from Salem's tragedy. But the whole town seems to be capitalizing on it. From the Witch City Mall to the Wicked Good Bookseller, it's hard to escape. Now that said, Salem was never a purely spiritual venture. The charter for the land was drawn up by the Massachusetts Bay Trading Company in the hopes of facilitating trade between some of these other burgeoning colonies and striking it rich. The colony was governed by God-fearing Puritans, who enforced strict religious protocols, but they also limited membership, as well as land holdings and shares in the company, to other Puritans. It was a theocracy, but it was also a business, and it was pretty strict about conforming to the company's values and staying on brand, diversity, diversity was especially frowned upon, and those Puritans frowned a lot, so that's saying something. Even before the trials, they'd impose hefty fines on Quakers and Baptists and anyone else who didn't subscribe to their very narrow and specific brand of Christianity. Come to think of it, they imposed fines on people for just about everything, including not showing up for church on Sunday. They may have been onto something there. As a commercial enterprise, the Massachusetts Bay Colony was an economic success that planted the seeds of a new nation. But as a spiritual community, it was a failed state. They put profits before people. They killed one another. And they failed each other in the worst possible ways. And too often, that seems to be the way of the world. It's our tradition on Confirmation Sunday to share a few words of those being confirmed today. I've read all of the confirmation papers that you all have submitted, your thoughts about faith and spiritual matters, and it strikes me that our confirmants have a vision of Christian community that stands in stark contrast with merry old Salem. In many ways, we owe a debt of gratitude to those early settlers, our ancestors in faith, the first congregationalists, along with the pilgrims. But we also have a spiritual obligation to keep growing and evolving in our relationship with our faith and our God and with one another. We have a responsibility as people of faith to keep doing better. It's kind of like a path up a hill. One of our students writes in his paper about the journey of faith. The path goes around the hill, and as you climb higher and higher, getting closer to the center, you are getting closer and closer to the sky. And in that same aspirational spirit, the rest of the class shared their insights and wisdom about Christian community done right. What it looks like, why it matters, and recognizing That it's easier said than done. So, what does Christian community look like? According to our confirmation class, it's diverse, it's made up of all kinds of different people with different stories and beliefs and ideas who can still love each other. There are many different definitions of a Christian, which is why I love Christianity, one young man writes. Our differences collectively make us more unified. Another uh, writes, It's wrong to exclude those who are different from us. We're all different. This is a part of the beauty of God. People are unique, writes another student. God loves each and every one of us equally, like what your parents say, even though they obviously have a favorite. (laughs) The class demonstrated a healthy respect for other faith traditions as well. Our church promotes an understanding of different religions and includes anyone who wants to worship with us, offers one student. Our history is full of wars that have started over different religious beliefs, But when our church community talks about different beliefs and religions, we speak very highly of them. Our confirmation class knows that living in Christian community means building relationships with people who aren't just like us, rather than insisting on strict conformity. Several students wrote of their profound experiences in our PADS homeless shelter, where they serve folks who in many cases can be very different from they are. Uh, they, They recognize that Jesus didn't discriminate as often as we do. Jesus helps everyone, one of them shares. No matter if they are rich or poor, black or white, boy or girl, Jesus helps them all. One conferman takes this idea a step further, pointing out that sometimes being in community means building relationships with people who actually speak a different language, sometimes figuratively and sometimes literally. He tells the story of tutoring a young girl uh, at the Glen Owen Children's Resource Center who only spoke French. Having only one year of French class, communicating with her was difficult, nearly impossible, he writes. And he goes on to talk about how they played a game together on that first day, finding ways to communicate along the way, and how she became a real part of that community over the course of the summer. I recently found myself in similar circumstances when I bought a new pair of cowboy boots from the five-star Swap Mart in, uh, in uh, Villa Park up on North Avenue. I bought them from a man Uh, who did not speak a word of English and I don't speak any Spanish. It was actually kind of fun though, um, trying to haggle and negotiate by writing cryptic notes to each other on scraps of paper and pointing to one pair of shoes or another. El cocodrilo, he said almost reverently as I pulled on a pair of crocodile skin boots. Perfecto, I replied. (laughs) He tossed in a free belt. Uh, so I asked him if he sold any belt buckles. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, he leaves and he comes back with a small collection of them. And one of them really caught my eye. It was really something. I mean, you couldn't miss it. It was enormous, it was probably about this big. And uh, it had a depiction of the crucifixion on it. It had uh, Jesus up on the cross and a, and a crowd of women some distance away uh, at the bottom of the hill weeping. And uh, all of it was inlaid with gold and silver. It was remarkable, but I didn't know when I would ever have occasion to wear this. It seemed too macabre for a Friday night, and a bit flashy for Good Friday. But you know, the experience reminded me more of Pentecost, anyway. These are Pentecost stories, stories of people coming together And talking and relating, regardless of their heritage, or their language, or their beliefs, or their politics. Instead of turning on each other and using those differences as an excuse to be hateful. As you know, I like to say that this church is a community like no other. TM. Uh, That's what this church is. It's what it's supposed to be. A place where being different is celebrated where asking questions is encouraged, and where we treat each other like the children of God that we are. Now, sadly, other communities, I find, tend to be more exclusive, more competitive, less loving. And they always have been. Thousands of years ago, in their natural setting, Mankind wasn't succeeding, one student reflected. We sinned, and that is why God sent Jesus to earth, to help us find our way. In a similar vein, the political philosopher Thomas Hobbes famously wrote that without proper guidance, human society is little more than a war of all against all. And Christ shows us a better way if we're willing to follow. And that, more than anything else, is what Pentecost is all about. And that's something that we step forward to become a part of when we confirm our faith. One young woman offers this quote from the Psalms and her thoughts on it. Psalm 87 proclaims, People of all nations are going to become citizens of God's kingdom." We at First Congregational Church of Glen Ellen are welcoming to all people an open and affirming church. And she's right, that's what we strive to be. We strive to be a community that welcomes all. We aren't going to throw you out because you're a Quaker or a Muslim or a lesbian or a Republican or a socialist or black or Hispanic or anything else. We aren't going to ask to see your papers, except for your confirmation papers. Our students also wrote at some length about why this diverse community matters, why it's important. Life is hard. They already understand that. Over the summer, my brother got severely hurt, one of them writes. He was in the hospital for three days. So many people in this community and church supported him through his recovery. We'd receive gifts, food, letters, and a lot more. This is what having a community is for, he continues, to be there for others. We felt the prayers coming from so many people, and it made me feel closer to God because of everyone coming together and supporting my brother. It's a beautiful testimony. And community is also important because it's an antidote for the ego, a means of growing beyond oneself getting out of our own head, and caring for other people. Being a member of something larger than myself, one student came to realize, helps me think about others. And one young woman illustrates this so beautifully, reflecting on the ways in which community has a way of bringing out the best of us, gives us the power to change the world in ways that we could never do alone. This is why I think God calls us together to practice our faith rather than individually, she reasons. We can share our ideas more freely. We're able to hear others input and put forth our own. And she goes on to say, God didn't make us only as individuals, but as Christians in a community where big things happen when we work together. People have often compared uh, their congregation to a family. And one student writes about hers. Whenever I'm with my beautiful and generous family, I know that God is smiling as we laugh laugh along to my dad's jokes and become warm with mom's hugs that remind me of home. Indeed, church and family do have much in common. We love each other. We learn from each other. And sometimes we also fight with each other. Take it from me in a house with two little boys Someone is always screaming, and someone is always crying. But once the kids stop yelling at me, I wipe my tears away, (laughs) and we're all good. One student wrote a poem, brutal in its honesty about sorrow and strife, but also hopeful and beautiful about her family. And it strikes me that it's a remarkable metaphor for Christian community. Late at night, a dove whistles a lonely tune. His song tells a sad tale filled with strife and anguish, but no one can hear his silent wail. In a nearby meadow, a dove does sing a beautiful song of gold and green. She sings with beauty and she sings with grace, and it tickles the ears of a sorrow-filled teen. The teen was cursed with a heart made of stone, and her pain reaches through every bone. She wishes and wishes for the pain to end, waiting for the day when her heart would mend. The mother of the teen spends the day in bed, wanting the energy to get her daughter fed. She closes the blinds to start the day, and never would she ever kneel down to pray. But early in the morning, the dove whistles a happy tune. The teen wakes from her dream to hear the clinking of a spoon. As she wanders into the kitchen, she spies the gentle flutter of the dove and realizes her house is made of love. When you were little, you probably heard the nursery rhyme. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. see all the people. God's house is made of love and it's filled with people and people are different. We bring our hopes and our fears, our hang-ups and our baggage, our anxiety and our joy. And sometimes, somehow, together, we build a real community. My parents sometimes say it takes a village one student shared, and this is what church is all about. And she's right. It took a village to raise each of us, each of you, each and every one of you who are being confirmed today. It took a village, not a village like Salem, where wealth was hoarded and people were excluded and even punished for being different, but a place where everyone is a citizen of God's country. A place where you can step forward, become a part of this community, and proudly say, here I am, Lord, just as I am. Amen.